We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. We'll start with last night, Virginia winning big in Boise. Did you expect it to be that or at least the way they made it look so easy? What a big confidence uh, builder for that Virginia team and also for that Virginia fan base. You know, the, the game in Charlottesville one year ago against the Broncos of absolute blowout loss was a real low point for Bronco Mendenhall and that staff. And to think about how far they've come, I think that this was one of those games where uh, you get to look at how far the program has come, the performance of the team, the level of the execution uh, from one year non-conference game to the next year. And it's got to give that Virginia team a whole lot of confidence going into conference play. And it should also be a warning to the rest of the ACC that this Virginia team is not ready to be a doormat in the Coastal Division. Florida State in action for the first time since losing to Alabama. They obviously have a new quarterback. Uh, You know, they're underway against NC State. Where are the Seminoles going, do you think, right now? It's all going to be on James Blackman, and this is going to be very interesting because James Blackman is a quarterback who I think was a little bit below the radar until Jimbo Fisher got him on campus at one of his camps, and before the end of the camp, he had already offered the player, who was then a three-star prospect out of Belglades, Florida, he had already offered him a scholarship. Now listen, he's tall and he's got a great arm, but he's very, very skinny. Uh, he's he's going to look real wiry out there. He hasn't quite filled into his frame, but he liked Jimbo Fisher liked the way that James Blackman was able to be coached. He loved his arm talent and Florida state has a great group of wide receivers. So seeing how James Blackman looks, seeing how he's able to run this offense is going to be very big in trying to figure out whether Florida state, a team that yes, did lose to Alabama, did lose its starting quarterback in Deandre Francois, but Hey, they, they are zero and zero in conference play and they still have all their goals ahead of them. The other team that had been uh, on the shelf since Irma is Miami. They're finally back in action as well, taking on a Toledo team that's 3-0. and What should the Hurricanes be expecting today? Uh, Logan Woodside is a very good, play, great playmaker. Um, Toledo's got a dynamic offense, and nothing has really slowed down for that program. And honestly, you know, we, we rank all of the teams in college football at CBS Sports with the CBS 130. And I look at Toledo as a top 40 team. Uh, they, are, they are one of the better programs in the MAC, and they are absolutely a team that you should be taking seriously if you're the Miami Hurricanes. I think that what the Hurricanes can lean on is the fact that they've got such a good defensive front. The defensive line is deep, and their group of linebackers are about as good as you're going to find in the ACC. And so if you're going to be able to um, you know, keep Toledo from forcing Malik Rozier and the Miami offense to really press, then what we're going to see is, in, in my opinion, a game that might start a little bit tight, but over the course of four quarters, once that Miami offense knocks the rust off and gets rolling uh, with Mark Walton running the ball, especially, that's going to be a big key for them. I think that they're going to be able to to win. It's just going to be one of those games where it's a tough opponent. It's an opponent that Miami should beat, and this will be a great opportunity for us, but especially Miami's coaches, to learn a lot uh, about that offense. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. If you ever want to see what Chip looks like, you can see him today on CBSSports.com, pre, post, and halftime of the SEC Live of uh, Alabama and Vanderbilt. So Chip will be on with Nick Costos today on CBSSports.com. But we are right now taking a closer look at the ACC Conference. Louisville back in action right now against Kent State after getting crushed last week. Are the Cardinals really more than Lamar Jackson right now? 
They're they're growing as a team. I mean, this is a uh, particularly a Louisville defense that has uh, undergone a lot of turnover and transition, both on the field and on the sideline. I think that uh, seeing the way that Clemson, particularly as the game went on, kind of wore that Louisville defense down and was able to continue to pound the ball on the ground, really establish the running game. And then even, you know, you go back to their conference opener against North Carolina, where both Brandon Harris and Chad Surratt were able to have some success moving the ball. This is this is a team that is going to be able to hang and win in a shootout because of the offensive talent of Lamar Jackson. But if this is going to be a Cardinals team that is a you know 10 or 11 win team trying to knock on the door of a New Year's Six bowl game, I think they need to get a little bit better on the defensive side. You look at what Pittsburgh and their their own action against Georgia Tech shortly. Uh, you know the Panthers under Pat Narduzzi had a good start, but they're one and two this year. And granted, they played some really good offenses so far. But uh, as a guy who had so many great defensive teams at Michigan State as their defensive coordinator, are you a little uh, feeling a bit of a letdown by what you've seen so far at Pittsburgh from them? Important to note that two of their better defensive players, Jordan Whitehead, the safety perhaps being one of the most talented, uh, were suspended for the first three games of the season. Now, uh, as an innocent bystander on the side, I might question why, you know, the, the timing or, you know, wonder aloud about the, you know, how much you are helping or hurting your team with a suspension that it will include Penn State and Oklahoma State. But team rules are team rules, and Pat Narduzzi has a very firm standard for that program. The, it, this is just a re, two really bad matchups uh, for that program. This is going to be a, a big spot for the Panthers because one thing that that Pittsburgh team really wants to pride itself on is going to be the ability to stop the run. And so they've got to play some assignment football against Taquan Marshall, who is already, as we've seen uh, several times this season, just brilliantly uh, grasping that Georgia Tech offensive system. So I, I think that they've got to play some assignment football you know, they, they really, really got tested against Oklahoma State. And that back end, you know, not, it was not fantastic a year ago. And it obviously can be picked apart again from what we saw against the Cowboys. But if, if you're going to pride yourself on being able to be a team that can stop the run with your front seven, then this is going to be an important game to show up. Because if Georgia Tech is able uh, to break open a lot of big plays and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, run up the score on the Panthers, then we're looking at a Pittsburgh team that has instability at the quarterback position because Max Brown has just not really been all that great and a defense uh, that's a little bit leaky. And I think the combination of those two is going to make this Pittsburgh team suddenly look like one that's going to struggle in the ACC Coastal Division. And if you're struggling in in conference play in the Coastal Division, then all of a sudden you're going to be sweating it out in November trying to make the postseason. Duke, North Carolina today, the Blue Devils 3-0 and as conference play begins to heat up. And, you know, we talked about Virginia earlier having a nice rebound so far. Are you buying Duke so far? I'm buying Duke, but I'll tell you this game is weird. Ever since this game got moved off of rivalry weekend, it's been floating around. It's been on a Thursday night. Uh, it's now in September. Uh, this might be the earliest that North Carolina and Duke have ever played each other in their long and storied rivalry. Listen, this the best team does not always win this game. Think back just to a year ago when Mitch Trubisky and a ton of other 
future pros on offense. You know, North Carolina was the better team last year, but Duke won that game. So I'm looking at Duke as the better team, but this game's in Keenan Stadium, and it's a real gut check for Larry Fedora's team, one that has not met his standard on either side of the ball, offense or defense. But I do think Duke, with Daniel Jones at quarterback, is going to be able to have some success. They're going to be able to hit some big plays, but it's going to be on the other side where Duke defensive line uh, has really stepped up. Drew Jordan is a freshman on that line who's really impressed me. They've got to be, find a way to sustain uh, their dominance and be able to win the line of scrimmage against the North Carolina team. That again, it's gut check. They're banged up. This is a rivalry game. They're playing at home. Uh, we're going to see today, we're going to learn a lot about the Tar Heels, but I think that uh, if the Tar Heels win, it doesn't necessarily make me change my thought that Duke is a team to be feared in the ACC for sure. We take a closer look at the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. Oregon is 3-0 and under new head coach Willie Taggart, back in the top 25. How unexpected was this this early, and how has Jim Levitt pulled that defense together so quickly? Oh, and to do it with uh, a lot of young players, Thomas Graham, true freshman, is already looking like uh, one of the top defensive backs in the Pac-12. This is this is going to be a big test for them to be able to sustain this because things are getting a little bit tougher. You know, I, I think that maybe you, we looked at Wyoming and we gave them a higher grade than the Cowboys actually are because of Craig Bowl on the sideline and Josh Allen at the quarterback position. You know, as long as Oregon's going to be able to run the ball and with Royce Freeman leading the way, they sh- certainly should be able to. Uh, they're going to they're going to be a fun and entertaining team to watch, but to be able to win consistently enough to challenge Washington in the Pac-12 North or to be able to go up uh, against a team like Stanford to all of a sudden make yourself a player, not just a top 25 ranked team, but a real player in the Pac-12, um, you know, they're going to be able to, they're going to need to be able to sustain that, uh, sustain that good play on defense because, you know, while Jim Levitt's done a great job getting this together, let, let us not forget that they did allow Nebraska, Nebraska to come all the way charging back into that game that they had pretty much won based on their play in the first half. So I'm, I'm in the position where, particularly with this Arizona State game coming up, I need to see a little bit more before I'm buying all the way in on Oregon on both sides of the ball. Utah improved to 4-0 and last night, beating Arizona, but just by six. Considering the way the Wildcats have played the Utes in recent years, is this one of those where Kyle Whittingham should just breathe a sigh of relief and say, hey, we'll take this one? Yeah, it was it was a big spot for Arizona to show up. I, I expected that game to be close. Um, you know, this is, this is a Utah team that's going to play in a lot of close games. The key is going to be winning those close games, and they, they do that at the margins with great special teams play and the ability to, uh, to stop the run on defense. So I, I think that we need to get used to seeing Utah being in these close games, even against teams where we feel like the Utes are definitely better. Went into the Arizona game with the idea that the Utes, you know, a borderline top 25 team, certainly one of the top two or three teams in their own division in the Pac-12 South behind the Trojans, like, that that is going to be uh, pretty typical, I think, from what we see from Utah this year, and that's okay because that's the way Kyle Whittingham has been able to win nine games a season and consistently be able to beat some of the best teams. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson, and also listen to the twenty four seven College Football Podcast. You know, UCLA last week, we saw the full gamut of Josh Rosen. Is it just a matter of experience that he needs, or is this Josh Rosen, the good and the bad in each game? 
Yeah, he's he's got to do it all himself. And whether he actually needs to do it all himself or whether he feels like he needs to do it all himself, we've still got a ways to go to see that. Because, you know, you it is worth questioning the maturity when you're making what appears to be some some very bad mistakes, trying to extend plays, throw the ball across the field, um, ones that did not make him look like a, the truly polished uh, prospect that I think a lot of NFL draft uh, draft Knicks are certainly looking for him to be. This is this is a UCLA team though that certainly seems to be saying, "All right, Josh, like let's let's go out there, pitch it around, and and hope that we can win a football game." This will be a fascinating fascinating game against Stanford because. Uh, the Cardinal, they're not getting much pass rush up front. They do have a very good secondary. And so the Stanford secondary against Josh Rosen is actually one of my big-time matchups to watch this weekend. You know, is Stanford not who we thought they were, in the words of the late, great Dennis Green? Uh, they, there's something wrong with Stanford, at least in terms of uh, the, the drop-off from being a team that many of us, myself included, thought could be competing for Pac-12 championships this season and maybe be a playoff dark horse to the product that's been on the field. Here's what I will say. I think that Stanford is going to be a very good team at the end of the year. Um, You know, as we look at David Shaw's arc as the head coach, I mean, the bottom falling out is still an eight and five season. And this might be one of those seasons where they only they don't win 10 games like they do every other year. They might only win eight games or nine games. But I think that whatever they figure out, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, whatever adjustments are made, uh, they're going to be a much more dangerous team in November. But it was just startling in that San Diego State game to see a Stanford team. You know, I'm used to being able to see a Stanford defensive front be able to go out there and get a stop. And when San Diego State converted third down after third down after third down, um, and when Keller Chris continued to get sacked and they couldn't give him time in the passing game, it just it was uh, not at all what uh, I've come to expect from the Stanford Cardinals. So again, I'm not I'm not bailing on Stanford as a you know one of the better teams in the Pac-12, but the product that they have put together over the last couple weeks is not that of a Pac-12 championship contender. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can see him today on CBSSports.com, halftime and postgame of Alabama Vanderbilt on SEC Live on CBSSports.com, and you could also always follow him on the 24-7 college football podcast. You know, when we look at Washington, we think Jake Browning, we think the defense, how well it's played in recent years. Are we overlooking their special teams, in, re- in particular their return game, which has been so good? I mean, Dante Pettis is just a track star. He's, he's superb. He's one of the – at some point, they're going to stop kicking to him. I don't know why teams are. He's got three punt return touchdowns in three games, and based on all the work he did last year as well, I, I don't have the record book in front of me, Rich, but I have a feeling he's going to start chasing down some school and some Pac-12 uh, punt return records pretty soon. It, you know, Dante Pettis also gets it done as a wide receiver. He's just such a dynamic athlete. And right now they're doing a lot of great things to be able to, to figure out ways to put him in a position to make plays. I, I honestly had think that uh, Jake Browning has been a little bit underwhelming so far this season. And that could be, you know, that could turn, uh, you know, in a heartbeat or in a game or in a quarter, you know, the, the Washington team in general, they remember they played a soft schedule last year. 
but they really looked good. They were executing at a high level. Everything was clicking. And you looked at the Huskies and you said, wow, that's a team that when they start playing, so getting into conference play and their schedule gets tougher, they could really cause some problems. You know, that could be a playoff team. Soft schedule, soft start once again for Washington. But I just think that the execution level, you know, just they haven't looked as dominant. You know, I can't help but remember uh, the, the struggle at the beginning of the Rutgers game, not being able to win the battle at the line of scrimmage. And I, I'm wondering uh, what's going to happen when the Huskies really get into the meat of their schedule. And that starts uh, going up against Colorado on the road in a rematch of the Pac-12 title game. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. How far is the gap between Alabama and the rest of the conference? We'll see. It's, I mean, it's, it is a different ball game. Um, yeah, Gary Danielson on uh, our 24-7 Sports College Football podcast this week uh, in our conversation looking ahead to Alabama Vanderbilt, he said Nick Saban, when he's looking at the tape, uh, he's not just grading Alabama against the team that they're playing on the tape. He's looking at Alabama, and he's already grading Alabama against Clemson and against Oklahoma and against the teams that the Crimson Tide are more likely going to be playing in the playoff if they're going to win the national championship. Because, you know, from when you get off the bus and when you kick it off at the beginning of the game, it seems like Alabama already has a touchdown advantage on pretty much everybody else in the conference. Vanderbilt is coming off its first win over a top 25 opponent since 1946. It has taken Derek Mason some time, but is Vanderbilt back to where it was in terms of success under James Franklin? Mm, we'll see. Uh, I don't, I think that this was, you know, this is a different game playing, playing against Alabama. Um, you know, they're Alabama, Alabama coming to town is something to get excited about. And the, the fact that, they're coming off of the Kansas State win is something that adds a little bit of juice to this. But I, I hope and I think that Derek Mason and his staff are not packing all of this uh, emotion uh, into one game. I think that they still have a little bit of a long view of things because it's taken a while. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt has gotten better after that first year, which uh, they were horrendous. They were just not competitive. Derek Mason takes over the defensive coordinator duties. The team has slowly gotten better. You've kind of started to get it going on offense with uh, Kyle, Sh- Kyle Shermer and um, Ralph Webb at the running back position. But in general, this is going to be uh, a formula where you know that they're going to be experienced on the defensive end. You know, they're going to cut, they're going to bring guys in, they're going to redshirt them. And it's just going to be, it's going to take the right combination. Uh, of getting a little bit of a spark on offense and getting a few more key playmakers for Vanderbilt to all of a sudden cycle up to be in a, a team that could win nine games in back-to-back seasons. I just I don't think they're there yet, but I think that how far they've come since Derek Mason's first year shows that it's not crazy to think that with a few additions here or there, uh, it won't take much to cycle up and really start threatening teams in the SEC East. Alabama-Vanderbilt, the game on CBS today. And also you can check out Chip and Nick Costas on CBSSports.com with SEC Live. They'll have the pre-, post-, and halftime show. So you get to see Chip uh, on, on video today, which should be great. We only get to hear his voice, which uh, we also like as well. Always welcome here. And you can always follow Chip on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. The honeymoon over for Ed Orgeron, new coach, but doesn't seem to be any improvement on offense and 30 penalties in three games so far. 
Yeah, I'm worried about um, just sort of the way that that LSU team has looked. Their execution level hasn't been great. The penalties that you mentioned aren't uh, all that impressive. And there's some, there might be some depth issues on this team right now. And so I'm, I'm looking at LSU, uh, you know, thinking that, you know, a team that when we had to fill out the SEC order of finish in the SEC West, you know, we, you put Alabama number one, Maybe you had Auburn two, maybe you had LSU three, but it almost feels disingenuous because if we were to do it and be intellectually honest about it, we should fill out the SEC West instead of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It should probably be one, four, 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 seven. And I think that LSU is still probably uh, one of those teams like an Auburn, like a Mississippi State, uh, who, you know, with the right matchup has the talent to be able to win on most Saturdays, but still it just, the, the level of execution and like, you need to be not just a good football team, but you need to be a great football team for every single snap. And right now there just isn't the consistency right now at LSU to even, you know, venture the idea that they would be uh, a threat to Alabama, Florida, Kentucky today, the Gators coming off the dramatic win but the Wildcats off to a good start. Does the drought finally end today for the unbeaten Wildcats? Do they remain that way at the end of today? I'm calling it, Rich. I think it can happen. Way to go, Chipper. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, this this is um, a this is a Kentucky defense that's very, very stout up front. And that's one of the things that impressed me about the win at South Carolina is that uh, they they took a Jake they took Jake Bentley a quarterback who would look very, very good and could get hot, and they they really shut down that South Carolina offense. And they've been pretty good up front. Um, you know, this is this is an experienced Kentucky team. No doubt they've heard all about it. And, man, if you're getting Florida right off an emotionally draining win against Tennessee, you know, this is, this is the spot. Like, if it's not going to happen now, I, I don't know when it's going to happen because certainly – uh, the ball is in Steve, quarterback Steven Johnson's hands, and if Steven Johnson can generate a few explosive plays, then I think they can ride that defense to what I expect to be a close and huge win for the Wildcats at Kroger Field. Hasn't been since 1986, the last time Kentucky knocked off Florida, and of course the Gators coming off that big win a week ago. You know, does that lift Florida, do you think, or is that just overshadowing what a bad game it was? It's, I mean, the, it, I don't know if it lifts the team. I think that even Jim McElwain uh, didn't – like he was very happy to get the win, and it was a very good moment for that team. But I, I think that everything we saw from him in postgame and heard from him this week uh, allows him to, to look at this game. He is looking at this game uh, through the eyes of a realist. And, um, you know, there there's a lot of improvement that's left there on both sides of the ball. I mean, this is – this Florida defense isn't uh, isn't as elite as some of the units that have helped carry the Gators to the SEC championship game in the last two years, and it's a it's a personnel issue. They're young, they're inexperienced. Um, you know, they they can't uh, quite get to a point right now where I think that that's going to carry them, and so it's going to have to be Felipe Franks. It's going to have to be Tyree Cleveland. It's going to have to be. Uh, figuring out a ways to ge- figure out ways to generate explosive plays on the offensive side of the ball because um, this is this is a Florida team that already uh, through three games looks like it is a step back 
from where it was the last two years on both sides of the ball. So I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Florida and I think that because of the youth, they could be really good by the end of the year and keeping Felipe Franks in there and allowing him to continue to develop listen, every live snap that Franks gets is just a chance for him to get better. And there's enough, there's enough talent at the wide receiver position to think that they will have a quarterback and a passing game that can be dangerous. And I just, I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. And the question is, you know, based on uh, the way that the schedule breaks out for the, for the Gators in conference play, you know, are they going to be able to get good enough fast enough, or is this going to be a situation where uh, you look at Florida at the end of the year, they're a lot better, and then you start building excitement for 2018. Talking to Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, and you can see him today on CBSSports.com with pre-post and halftime coverage of Alabama and Vanderbilt. The other big game of the conference today, Mississippi State coming off the big win over LSU last week on the road at Georgia. Both are three and zero, and for the uh, for Mississippi State, I almost said the Bulldogs, but they're all they're both the Bulldogs today. Uh, right. But for, for Mississippi State, you know, it's so much will be compared to. 2014 and almost it's such an eerie thing as as far as even the schedule is concerned because that that big run in 14 started with a win at LSU they beat LSU last week on the road today at Georgia and take on Auburn next week as, as well but this team seems very much complete you know just how good is it and can they can they go on another run here continuing with the win at Georgia today it's going to be tough because one thing, I think Georgia's defensive front is better than LSU's, and the way that Lorenzo Carter, Roquan Smith, Trent Thompson, you know, these guys who were some of the top recruited players in the country, um, you know, they're starting to play up to those recruiting rankings. You know, on, on paper, Georgia's defense has looked incredible for a long time, but it's been a few years before – it's really seemed like they've been able to put it all together on the field. And so I, I tell you what, um, you know, they, if they put Mississippi State in third and long, then we're going to see Nick Fitzgerald and that offense look very, very different. Um, the reason why things clicked against LSU and the reason why Mississippi State is so good with Nick Fitzgerald in that attack is that they move the ball on the ground, they move the ball on the ground, and then they're able to open things up in the passing game with the play-action pass. But – if, if it's a known passing down, if it's third and 10, third and nine, then I, I think we're going to see Nick Fitzgerald, a player who, if he continues this tear, you know, is going to start entering all kinds of, you know, Heisman-esque discussions. But I think we're going to see that Nick Fitzgerald, a dual-threat quarterback, an incredible playmaker, right now with the weapons around him, uh, is not a quarterback in Mississippi State. As great as that offense is, uh, they, they are much better – uh, in positions where it's third and manageable instead of third and long. So there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a wrinkle. And so when you ask how good can Mississippi State be, they can be a 10-win team. You know, they, they absolutely can be a 10-win team. But, um, you know, there are just a few spots where if things don't break their way, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit tough. And that's why I think it's going to be a fist fight in Athens. And I, I, I favor the Bulldogs to win a low-scoring Battle where Which Bulldogs? Yeah, the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, you know, just with it being a home game, with it being under the lights, with uh, one of those kind of just knockdown, drag it out games where Nick Fitzgerald will probably hit a couple of big plays that do lead to scores. But I, I don't see either team being able to reach 30. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see how Mississippi State responds here. 
But they're, listen, the way they played against LSU showed me that they are in the conversation to be uh, one of the top three or four teams in the entire conference. Chipper, enjoy. We thank you as always. And just remember, video kill the radio star.